0: Today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Monday, Market Monday, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson.
1: Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. How you doing?
0: I'm not too bad, Mike. How about you?
1: You know, I'm not too bad. I have, uh, as you well know, I think all of us in media are getting tired of reporting on politics and markets and mm. tariffs and ugh, all that stuff. And of course, it's just been clogging my Twitter timeline, which is where I go to socialize. So <laughs> I've posted a poll and I've decided if, if Twitter is going to fight, if American citizens are going to fight against one another, it ought to be for something that matters. Okay. And so Delaney. I'm posing to you this important question. Oh
0: no, what?
1: The best kind of peanut butter. Is it creamy,
0: Ooh. chunky,
1: or super extra chunky?
0: That's hard. Cause I feel like I like, I like all kinds of peanut butter, but I feel like it depending on the situation is what I decide I'm in the mood for.
1: Okay, that's a fair answer. I I would tend to agree with you because I like the convenience of creamy, mm-hmm. but sometimes the texture of a chunky is what the situation calls for. Yeah,
0: and you can't really cook with chunky peanut butter, so you kind of need both in your life, I think.
1: There you go. We need both in our life. Delaney How that is the sentiment we need <laughs> here in 2018. Does America. that
0: sound like a politician answer?
1: It really does. It really does. <laughs> we'll look forward to voting for you for uh, for president someday. Okay, perfect. Well, let's see. So, folks, if you're interested, if you've got an opinion, you can find that at Pearson Cattle there on my uh, on my Twitter feed. We got a good discussion going right now. But... Yeah, I'm gonna
0: look for it right now while while we're talking on the podcast. Perfect. Well, what's uh, what's what's jumping out at you in the
1: world of uh, of ag news,
0: <sighs> Mike? There's a lot going on. I don't even know where to start. Like you said, I mean, I'm kind of tired of talking about politics and trade we've got the farm bill discussion continuing on this week so I'm just going to skim over that and move on Um, but I've seen a lot of news today about our EPA administrator Scott Pruitt he is apparently uh, going before the U.S. Office of Special Counsel they're reviewing claims that he retaliated against a handful of employees who apparently pushed back at him against his spending habits because they according to the article i'm reading at least 6 current and former employee officials were reportedly fired or reassigned to new jobs because they questioned his need for a 24-hour security protection which was um let's see the cost was about 4.6 million dollars
1: hmm so that he, seems uh
0: a little like high like a fair
1: chunk of money yeah you know, but at the same time, I've never hired a security no. detail for myself, so I don't know what the going rate is. Maybe maybe he got a heck of a deal. Maybe he bought the uh, security folks there at Costco or Sam's Club or
0: something. <laughs> I don't know either how that works. But Okay, so the other reason he's been in the news today um, is because he's continuing to get hit about the SNL mandate, which was supposed to be released last Friday and still hasn't, so we're continuing to uh, watch that, and we'll keep everybody updated when we do get that finally released, but... Um, Refinery industry representatives in Washington said that it would be illegal for Senator Pruitt to reallocate the uh, hardship waivers, those waived ethanol requirements. It would be illegal for him to pass those on and reallocate those to the large refiners that don't get granted those waivers.
1: Imagine that refiners mm-hmm. are saying you can't give us more ethanol, uh you know, requirements. Right. And, you know, I think the answer to that is, look, refiner guys, talk to your co-owners, talk to the other owners of refineries and don't let them get out of their legal responsibility to either purchase RINs or blend ethanol. I mean, that's yeah. the
0: law. Right.
1: Um, Since we're on the topic of EPA, I've got some news out of the EPA, and this is related to Dicamba. Mm. Um, Of course, we do see the end of 2018, actually November of 2018, is when the existing registrations of Extendamax, Ingenia, and Fexapan expire. And uh, Extendamax and Ingenia, you know, that's your your Dicamba products. And Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with Fexapan. I don't know if that's a dicamba product or not. Yeah, it is.
0: Yep.
1: It is. Okay. And uh, basically what the EPA is doing is now they're currently taking in reports. And so far, Missouri and, again, Arkansas are leading in dicamba drift complaints. Missouri is facing 42 complaints of potential potential dicamba injury. And uh, Arkansas has seen 43 so far, even though, of course, now the uh, infield Applications of dicamba are banned, and it's about half as many as last year, but it is still something the EPA is weighing when they look at, you know, are they going to allow this technology to continue to be used in the future? They did say, an EPA spokesman told DTN that their goal was to make a regulatory decision in time to inform seed and weed management purchase decisions for 2019. So hopefully we'll know. I would assume September, October, before we start rolling out next year's uh, seed sales and mm-hmm. you know give those early purchase discounts on herbicides.
0: Well, at least we're not getting them taken away.
1: It uh, could. I well, mean, that's that's the possibility. If they decide that we're not going to renew these registrations, then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. extend the Max and Ingenia off the table.
0: Oh, I liked your little whistle. That was good.
1: Yeah, I, I got kind of lucky. I didn't. I didn't know if that would work, but it did. <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't have a good segue after that, so I'm just going to move on here. Just jump. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, We have been having a lot of wildfires, again, going across rural California. I know we cover this a lot, but it seems like they just can't catch a break out there. They've had quite a few wind-driven wildfires in northern California so far. We've got the Pawnee Fire. Which broke out this weekend on Saturday and so far has destroyed 12 buildings and threatened an additional 600. And there has been no containment for it yet. It burned about 12 square miles and people in that area are asked to evacuate. Uh, there's also some going on in Te- I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but Tehama County I believe. Um, and then that's burned about five and a half square miles and another neighbor. Another fire in a neighboring county in Shasta County, California, which is a little, it's about 20% contained at the moment, but uh, we'll be continuing to watch that.
1: Yeah, you know, it it is that time of year, and even though we've got a lot of folks in the Corn Belt dealing with more than ample supplies of rainfall, folks out west, it is the dry season, and uh, that, always put out your cigarettes, folks, put out your campfires, be smart, Only you, as Smokey the Bear says, can prevent forest fires. Oh, Speaking of preventing things, the U.S. has been trying to prevent the loss of sales as we look, uh, ag sales, as we look at at adding tariffs and various uh, trade restrictions into the world. However, it does seem as though we are giving other countries perhaps a crack in the door to get their goods in in place of ours. One place where we are seeing this is France. The French are going behind our back and they are negotiating with China to ne- to export fresh beef into the booming Chinese market because of course China is threatening to put US beef under a tariff. And so they're hoping that if the Chinese go through with their tariff threats, put a 25 or 10 percent tariff on U.S. beef, that will incentivize the Chinese to jump over to French beef. And uh, right now, however, the Chinese still have an embargo on European beef. It dates back to the uh, med cow disease crisis in Europe, you know, a little over two decades ago. But this is an opening and the French are really trying to seize it. So hopefully, hopefully. We can get these negotiations sorted out. We'll talk with Brian Hoops, of course, here in just a bit on our hashtag Market Monday about uh, what these trade deals mean for the markets.
0: So that's pretty interesting, Mike. Let's see. In other news, the final piece of news I had for today um, is about Brazilian soybean shipments. They're continuing to have problems with this. And okay, I wanted to actually ask you specifically about this because I was reading an article today about their their freight problems, their FOB or free on board slash freight on board, which is the price that a buyer or seller pays to take possession of a commodity at a port, and they've apparently been at a premium and have surged to $1.95 per bushel on Monday. Does that mean that the person shipping the beans has to pay for that, or the person exporting the beans has to pay for that?
1: The person buying the beans.
0: okay. So that makes sense. Um, yep. So if I'm
1: a Chinese grain buyer right. and I go down to Santos, my beans are going to cost me, you know, whatever a dollar forty three yeah. is more than the uh, cash price of beans at the Gulf.
0: Right. Okay. So that makes sense um, because I was reading another article that said the price of premium is uh, about equivalent to what a 25% tariff on U.S. soybeans would be. So I think it's kind of a wash by the sounds of it. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind right now, though, is, Truckers are still not happy with the prices that they're receiving on freight. And um, so far, since the problems that they've had been having, their strikes and whatnot, they've raised, Brazilian government has raised freight costs by 20 percent. And it is expected that those could increase by another 10 percent if truck drivers continue to uh, fight for higher prices, because a lot of them still are not driving or hauling uh beans and corn and whatnot to the ports. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Well, I mean, you can eat up a lot of freight with a $1.50 premium.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, that's...
1: a $1.95. Almost a $2 premium per yeah. bushel. Wow. Well, of course, a lot of these trade and tariff issues are caused by China. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what so we use as the cause for why we have to put these tariffs on. And one of the big reasons is the allegation and I don't I guess I don't know if there's been proof of this well we're all pretty confident the Chinese have been stealing technology and they've been doing it because they are really pushing for this plan called made in China 2025 and the Chinese central government wants to bring all these high-tech industries into China and to do it there's the alleged part they're stealing American and European technology well apparently Currently, President Trump's uh, bluster is working, at least as best as we can tell. The Chinese government has started pulling back a lot of the mentions of the Made in China 2025 program. Basically, the, uh, the Chinese press, which is run by the central government, had made more than 140 mentions of the Made in China 2025 plans in the first five months of the year, but they haven't mentioned it once. Since June 5th. So we're coming up on three weeks. They haven't said anything about it. It appears as though they're maybe trying to walk it back or at least downplay it in an effort to potentially this is the thought help us come to a trade agreement. So maybe we'll see all of this stuff blow over here before too long, which would certainly be good news.
0: It would be good news, but we don't have much time before those tariffs go into effect because the July 6th deadline is looming just like two weeks away.
1: It is looming. It is the sword of Democles hanging mm. over our heads.
0: And uh, this is a nice transition, I think, to talk about the markets, because as Brian Hoops is going to share with us here in just a little bit, trade and tariffs and all that stuff has definitely taken its toll on the markets today.
1: It certainly has. And folks, as a reminder, our markets are brought to us each and every week by our friends at the Zayner Group. Get in touch with them, put a plan in place. Give them a call at 312-277-0050 or you can visit them on the web at Zayner Z-A-N-E-R dot com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, just like every Monday for about the past month, we are seeing significant red on the screen, looking at the corn market right off the bat. The July contract closed down six and three quarter cents at three fifty and a half. December was down six and a half cents at three seventy one and a half. In soybeans, big downward day to day. The July contract dropped 20 cents, closing at eight seventy four and a half. November new crop down 20 and three quarters to close at 8.95 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the July was off 14 and a half cents at 4.76 and three quarters. The September was down 13 and three quarters. To finish at 4 dollars and a half. The red was not limited to the grains. We also saw it play out on the livestock. June live cattle down $2.30 at 105 9750 The August contract limit down $3.102.90. at 102.90. Feeder cattle did not close limit down. The August feeder cattle contract dropped $3.42.5 at 145 7750 And September was off three thirty two fifty dollars to close at 146 dollars fifty. In Lean Hogs, the July contract dropped $1.75, closed the day at $78.0750. The August was down a dollar seventy seven fifty to close at $73.60. And in the dairy market, it is still dairy month here in June, but dairy farmers did not get relief today. The June contract was dropped down $4 cents today at $15.21, while July dropped a staggering 50 cents on the day to finish at $14.16. Before we get into more detail with these markets, on our Hashtag Market Monday conversation with Brian Hoops, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Joining us this week is Phil Long, the agronomy specialist up at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, we've heard from growers that Japanese beetles are starting to make their appearance known. Boy, what should they be thinking of this time of year?
2: Yeah, Mike, I mean, the, the Japanese beetles seem like they're coming out about the same time as the June beetles this year. I mean, it's just, uh, they're a little ahead of schedule. Uh, I know reports all across the state, especially here in the northern part, uh, if you look at the calendar and kind of what we've seen the past 30 years, we're about two to 300 uh, growing degree units above average, which <laughs> makes sense with all the hot temperatures we've had. So kind of push those Japanese beetles out of the ground a little faster than normal and um, you know, you, gotta, you just got to remember the important parts, usually their, their, their defoliation is not as big of a deal. It's usually the silk clipping and corn, which we are not there yet, but we've got a lot of small beans, especially in the northern part of the state, and I've seen a lot of setback by herbicides or other things, so they're they're just not as good a health as, as normal, so uh, just pay attention to those types of fields, because Japanese beetles can really uh, go to town pretty quick on, on small plants, you know. And, your threshold is usually around 30% defoliation, uh, especially before bloom. And after bloom, it's more like 20, 20% defoliation when, when you should spray. So uh, just keep those things in mind as, as you're looking at those small beans that are trying to k- play catch up.
1: Perfect. And, folks, if you want to work with a company as quality as Latham High Tech Seeds, you can give them a shout at one eight seven seven go latham or visit their website at lathamseeds.com.
0: All right, folks. Well, for today's Market Monday, we're having on Brian Hoops from Midwest Market Solutions. Brian, how are you doing today?
3: I am doing wonderful, except for these down markets. I you know, know. We are sharply lower in these grains, livestock, stock market. Everything is taking a beating today.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, let's just jump right into it. Why? What, what's going on? What's happening here?
3: Uh, the, I think the biggest thing, the headline reason is the trade is – about the tariffs that are not only being placed with right now with China, but also with Canada, with the European Union, with Mexico, all these factors. We're we're kind of in the midst of a trade war, and the markets don't like that uncertainty. Traders don't like uncertainty. They want to know uh, where prices are going to go and and the reason why. And when you have an agreement and, and maybe tariffs being placed, and then this weekend they're talking about more tariffs being placed and China retaliating, this creates that uncertainty that nobody likes to be involved in, and so traders want to either get out of their long positions and just get flat to the market, or they want to be, you know, a little more defensive and, and maybe sell the market. And that's what we saw today: is pretty heavy selling pressure against a, a host of grain markets, stock market, uh, livestock markets, even felt some of that as well.
1: Now, Brian, we did see on uh, Friday's Commitment to Traders report that a lot of those outside investors that spec money has sold their positions. They're actively getting short. I, I mean, how much more downside is there given that we've been talking about trade concerns for the better part of the past six months?
3: You know, that's a great question. And the point that you're bringing up, I think, is one that I really want to talk about because I saw somebody on TV today talking about the, the funds being net short, the grains. and. And uh, it really depends on what section of the commitment traders report you look at. When you talk about the funds being net short grains, you have to include futures and options combined to give you that position, because if you look at straight futures, the funds are still long 265,000 corn and 58,000 contracts of soybeans, and that's what I'm most concerned about is their, their long futures positions disregarding any of the option trades, because we don't know if those are trades that are just uh, insuring their positions or what what stake they have with those options. So we're, we're very focused on just what the funds are doing with their uh, net positions of the futures, and, and they're holding big longs for corn and soybeans yet. Now, typically... They do liquidate those. That comes after the 4th of July in that third quarter timeframe, and then they buy back in on the fourth quarter. But we're seeing liquidation early because of good growing conditions and because of concerns about this uh, trade tariffs with China and Mexico.
0: Let's talk about the tariffs just a little bit more here. When we talk about tariffs, I think maybe sometimes producers are in the mindset that, Uh, or maybe don't understand what the tariffs are and how they're going to affect the markets if they do do go into effect. If we get to July 6th here and whatever, a week and a half, what's that going to do for the markets? I mean, how are producers at home supposed to protect themselves from that?
3: Okay, so another really good question and something that a lot of producers are asking about is how do you protect themselves in this environment? Well, July 6th, most producers aren't going to be looking to make a lot of sales. If, if they do, you're going to be, you know, making your normal sales with basis or against the, the futures market. Um, that's, that sort of thing to the elevator. But what really, when this would really take effect is when new crop purchasers are being made. China's been pretty aggressive buyer in the spring timeframe, they're pretty well covered until we get to the fall months. And at that time, that's when I would be a little bit more concerned. They're usually very aggressive buyers as we get into our harvest timeframe in, in early October, that's when they start buying uh, cash products. Now that's when those tariffs really start to, to feel the effects because they're gonna impose 25% increase in prices. So that makes the price that China is paying to the United States just a little bit more and that, in theory, should slow some of their buying interest, slow some of their demand. Now, by that time frame, we may have an agreement worked out. I, I know there was some talk over the weekend uh, from one of the U.S. official that he thinks that it's going to be a long drug-out process. But by the time we get into the fourth quarter this year, we should reach some sort of agreement because that's when China is really going to need to be making sales. That's when the United States is going to be looking to make sales to China. So it's it's best interest of both parties to make make an agreement by that time frame. But between now and then, you know, hopefully producers either have some futures hedge protection or they've already made cash sales because we may not see a lot of export business that will give us opportunities for higher prices between now and our harvest time frame.
0: When you look at export business, I know Brazil has been struggling to get exports shipped out. And, of course, they're a large soybean exporter. With our with the U.S. soybeans trading at such a discount to Brazil's premium, does that give any reason for us to continue having strong exports moving forward?
2: Um,
3: Our exports are probably going to slow down moving forward because you know Brazil has a a much greater advantageous than what we do based off of these tariffs. If we can get a resolution made, then that um, you know that spread widens quite a bit. If uh, producers wanted to make sales right now you're likely looking at a pretty hefty basis levels going forward because those end users are not sure if they're going to have a market to resell their soybeans in the future because of these Chinese tariffs and, and trade wars with Mexico. So we could be looking at a, at a wider basis, but certainly, um, you know, Brazil should be in, in the forefront right now as they don't have any tariffs uh, impacting their trade agreements.
1: Now, Brian, let's talk uh, let's talk corn right off the bat here. We've seen this drop down quite a little bit. We've seen price levels drop, uh, you know, well out of the four dollar range today. We're at you know three seventy and change. Um, when you think of producers who were either aggressive in getting some sales on earlier in the growing season or maybe are hoping for better opportunities later. Are we to a point yet in your mind that it would be prudent to look at some reownership strategies?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think we're, we've probably put in like a summer type low last Tuesday when we dropped so hard on very heavy volume. Now, the, uh, November beans on the close today it's closed below last Tuesday's lows. Remember last Tuesday we had that big drop and then we rallied. And same thing in the corn market today. We, we didn't close quite this low on that Tuesday. So it means that we probably will go back and kind of recheck that low, uh, around that 360 to 365. And if we do, I think you can go ahead and, and use some of these option strategies they're they're low risk and high potential reward. Now the key is you know trying to get these bought as cheap as you can and, and give yourself enough time that what can drive our prices back higher? Well, if we have a hot and dry weather stretch in the last half of July into August, that could certainly rally soybeans a resolution in some of these trade agreements. Would, would send prices both corn and soybeans sharply higher. So I think it, it really makes some sense if you made cash sales at higher price levels. If you've sold, been able to sell December corn above 410, 415, 420, now you step back in and spend 10, maybe 15 cents maximum on a call option to give yourself reownership. That's the most amount of money that you could lose, and then you have all kinds of upside potential in case one of those two things happen.
0: From a Feed needs perspective. If I'm a livestock producer, should I be looking to lock in my feed needs now, or wait and see if the grain markets do trend a little bit lower to lock them in?
3: I, th- I think that's a good question as well because producers have a, have a real opportunity here now to either use those option strategies that we were talking about for reownership of, of corn and soybeans, or they can wait until the harvest. And if prices are, are much cheaper by then, you're likely to see the basis widen out, and that's an even better buying opportunity for those livestock for producers. So, in my mind, I would spend some money on some options, 10 or 15 cents. You can recoup that cost if uh, those expire worthless. So you can recoup that cost at harvest time by buying at a much wider basis. And at that point, I think you absolutely have to lock in at least a year's worth of feed needs during our harvest time frame.
1: Now, before we jump over to the livestock markets, I got to get your thoughts here on the wheat market. We know we didn't have a great winter crop. We've got combines rolling right now. What are you hearing out there uh, on the winter wheat front?
3: A um, couple different notable items for wheat. You know, the the yields are not real good. They're kind of spotty. Some people got enough rain late in the year that their yields came back up, so it's not a disaster. But the big takeaway is um high protein in, in almost every instance very high protein levels for wheat and that's contrary to the last couple of years growing season where we had low protein wheat crop and uh, so now we're, t- we're seeing kind of a high basis level if you have high protein you're going to get a reward for that sell it to your elevator they're going to combine the high new newly harvested high protein wheat with some lower wheat to give yourself a better uh, protein mix and then they're able to ship it off but the problem with the wheat market here is that we just can't get rid of it. We can't sell it right now unless it does have that premium structure, that high, high protein level.
0: Let's jump over and talk livestock. I want to talk about feeder cattle specifically here. We were almost limit down for the day, or maybe did trade limit down at some point during the trading range today. You mentioned earlier trade and tariffs and stuff. Is that really the the big problem for today's markets?
3: Uh, yeah, the cattle market, so, you know, gap lower on the opening, close limit down, likely to see some pressure Tuesday morning, um, because of the and we'll have expanded limits that will allow us to trade, but cattle and feed report came out on Friday a little bit bearish, more on-feed supplies than what we expected, placement numbers also to be uh, much larger than what the trade had, had expected. So we've got big supplies of cattle, and we're really reliant upon our export markets to get through these supplies of cattle, and this goes for pork as well, um, we could see those channels be slowed down considerably because of the trade concerns that we have, not only with China, but also with um, you know Mexico, which buys a tremendous amount of pork from us, and then also Canada. So there's a lot of concerns going forward about demand and, and ability to export grains and livestock products.
1: Now, Brian, let's come back to that cattle on feed report because the number that really seemed to jump out to a lot of folks in the trade was that placements number. I and mean, we came in at, what, 6 or 8% above what the trade was anticipating. Could you explain to us what that means on the ground in the feedlots? What, what does that placement number tell us?
3: Yeah, you know, the placement number probably was should be where it is. You know, it was destined to be that level because some of these feedlots were having a tough time. Um, with the more expensive corn during the first couple um, months of the summer here, May and June, before prices broke, they were getting pretty expensive corn prices. Plus, their hay costs were going up as, as some of the pasture lands in you know Missouri and Oklahoma, Kansas regions were drying up. They didn't have a lot of rain until recently, and so that forced them to put more cattle off of grass and into the feedlots, and that's where we get that placement number. We place more cattle in the feedlots on feed, and so that jumped this number up. So you know going forward here, we've got a lot of cattle that are going to need feed, we've got a lot of cattle that we're going to have to move through the pipelines, they're going to get fed to uh, carcass and slaughter weights at a much quicker level than if they were left out in the grass on pasture lands where they were grazing. So we're going to need, probably see a a demand for feeder cattle for that replacement, probably uh, give us good support for the feeder cattle prices going forward.
0: With the June live cattle contract falling off the board here in just a couple of days, would you expect the August and October contract months to gain some strength, show some support? I mean, what are you hoping to see with those two contracts moving forward?
3: Yeah, you know, June is going to go off the board, and it's in that 106 range, 105. It it should try and go very close to where the cash is going to be um, at the end of expiration. Now, the problem is the cash was down last week and is expected to be down next week as well. Um, June's already kind of positioned itself close to the cash market, but August is, is three plus dollars below the current cash or p- below where June is. It could find some more selling pressure, but then again it, it, it should find some stability after June goes off the board because it 's holding a, a pretty big discount to the cash, but really that key is going to be where is that cash going to go. Um, likely it's going to go into the low 102 103 range over the next several weeks. Due to the uh, 4th of July holiday being the holiday shortened kill week, our demand normally slows after the 4th of July as well. So there's not a lot of optimism that we're going to see a major rebound in cattle futures after the 4th of July holiday for those uh, couple factors of increased supplies and slowing demand.
1: Now, Brian, you mentioned you were up there in northwest Iowa. Of course, that is the epicenter of pork production in this country. Right now, we've got an $18 spread here between the July and the October lean hog contracts. What's going on in in the lean (laughs) hog markets?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, if you look at the lean hog index, which is a reflection of the cash products, that's at around 86. So it's uh, holding another $14 or so discount or, or more to that lean hog index or the cash price, and future's really starting to fall out of bed in here. I think the futures market is probably a little bit overdone on those front months of hogs, anticipating the cash is gonna fall. But if you look at the October or the December that you were talking about, now you're looking at the cash market falling $25, $26 by the time we get to those fall months. USDA does expect we're gonna see one of the largest slaughter numbers uh, of the fourth quarter in history for for pork. We do have increased packer capacity. In fact, there's a plant in Sioux City, Iowa that's coming online in October that'll increase even more slaughter capacity. So I think we'll be able to handle these numbers from a standpoint of, of slaughter capacity. The question is will, will be, will they get backed up into cold storage or will, will be able to ship it to foreign countries such as Mexico, such as China and, and get rid of this available supply that we have?
0: Well, Brian Hoops, we definitely appreciate you breaking down these markets today, even though they definitely haven't been pretty. If folks would like to get a hold of you and have more questions, where should they head?
3: Um, you can go to our website, which is MidwestMarketSolutions.com. You can sign up for uh, our website, our webinars, our trade updates, our newsletters, that sort of thing, or you can reach me directly at 417-501-5132.
1: Well, Delaney, it's always good to hear from Brian Hoops. And, man, ho- hopefully, as he said, maybe these things will get resolved and that would be some strong upward momentum to the markets.
0: Yeah, I think fundamentally speaking, when you factor out the trade and tariff stuff, it seems, I mean, from a an analyst's perspective, most of them are fairly bullish towards the grain and livestock markets.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but, of course, you know, that's looking at the supply side if we think of flooding and drought and all of that stuff. But, boy, if we crimp demand very substantially by increasing prices, well, we still have a lot of year ahead of us. Let's not get down. It's summer. We're going to have more stuff coming, right, Delaney? We're going to be doing more stuff tomorrow.
0: We're going to be doing more stuff tomorrow. It's going to be Tech Tuesday on the podcast, so be sure to tune in. We've also got our intern, Hannah Pagel, is – at the uh i think it's called the i am farm her tour this week in kansas city so she's going to be sending us some great interviews from that conference as well
1: perfect yeah folks so be sure to stay tuned if you're down there at farm her look up hannah she's uh she's wandered around she's got microphones she wants to tell those stories so be sure to say hello she is very very friendly
0: very friendly and
1: uh Yeah, you can always find us and send us your notes on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Ag News Daily or visit us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. And you can always, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.